Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. Hello and welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, your friendly neighborhood madman. And uh, we got a half-assed show for you today because it's uh, Christmas week. And so uh, I really don't feel like doing anything. I almost said I don't feel like doing the show today. But, you know, I figured I, since I wrote a bunch of stuff, I might as well do a show. So that's how it's going. So I just want to remind you that I have a YouTube channel. Uh, search for Shock Monkey Radio, Radio on YouTube. I'm also on BitChute. Search for me on BitChute. I don't know what I'm going to do about BitChute. Uh, I've been trying to... I uh, had some problems uploading the last two shows on BitChute. So I don't know what I got to do on BitChute. So I don't know what, what's, what I'm going to do with that. Uh, also, I want to remind you, go over to Patreon.com slash Shock Monkey Radio. Become a patron. I would appreciate it. You can also send me cash through Cash App. Use hashtag Shock Monkey Radio. Okay, so yeah. Oh, also, also, we got the Scott vs. Scott uh, out on my YouTube channel and Comedian Scott Wharton's YouTube channel. Uh, that's uh, we got a pre- premiere of our latest shows coming tomorrow morning, nine a.m. So tune into the YouTube channel for that. Also, we've been uh, uploading some clips, like pretty much every day this week. So you know, check those out as well. I would appreciate it. Okay, so we got this half-ass show for you, and baby, it's cold outside, so it's the perfect time to curl up inside and rewatch your favorite shows like I did. So I rewatched The Office, and uh, there's a few things I want to say about it. Uh, I really love the relationship between Dwight and Jim. I mean, it's my favorite, favorite relationship. Um, I mean, although I do, I do dislike Jim and Pam. Uh, I, I, I do enjoy the friendship between Dwight and Jim because it's not fairly uncommon in American workplaces. That's, that's English for you, right? <laughs> that's, that's one of those English, not fairly uncommon. It's just, it's fairly common to see, uh, uh, rivalries like that in American workplaces. And yeah, I know it was based upon a British show, but offices are offices. It's a friendly rivalry between those two. And it always results in hilarity. I've mentioned before that I see myself more as a Dwight than a Jim, and Dwigged is by far my favorite character. Now, I don't know all, what all the fuss is about Pam. I find her to be a horrible person. Rather, a horrible wife. Uh, she's nice enough and all, casually, but once Jim and Pam got married, you start to see her crazy side more. Maybe it's just the hormones from the pregnancies, but she kind of grew passive-aggressive on Jim after the wedding. Sweet as their romance has been, but Poe Buddy's nerfed. After all, you can't write a relationship to be too fairy tale, fairy tale like or perfect, you know, because no relationship is perfect. And if you're very lucky, you could find yourself a friend like Dwight or a wife like Pam. But sometimes you date an Andy or a Roy. There's <laughs> there's realism in the relationships in the show. I think Angela is the cutest. Well, I think Aaron is the cutest, but I'm over 40, so Angela has to win out. I would have to nip that cat nonsense in the bud, though. It's unhealthy to own more than one cat. They are disgusting and dirty creatures anyway. I get it. They cuddle the best. They purr. I know the appeal. But having more than one cat is insane. You'll end up like Angela, licking them and hissing at bad cats like a crazy person. I love her tight ass and her tight ass nature. Women like that are usually freaks in the bedroom. Plus, she's petite, and I love them tiny women. Like I said, Erin is super cute, but a little too dumb for my taste. Even if she is cute as a button while being an idiot, over time, it would wear on me. 
The show seemed to lose uh, some momentum after Steve Carell left, but it was by no means any less funny or entertaining. It's hard to take that show seriously at times with Michael Scott because he is truly a caricature of an idiot boss. No real person can actually remain employed, much less in a leadership role in real life. It's like making Kevin the boss. No way that would happen. Not that Kevin doesn't deserve love. Uh, he really macked on that one homely woman when, uh, when saying, I get really nervous when talking to pretty women, feel how sweaty my hands are. Kevin's got game. Sinking shots when no one else is looking. Oscar is a nice enough guy, but sleeping with Angela's husband, regardless of the fact that the state senator was gay, that was wrong. He should have been man enough to tell Angela that the senator made a pass at him. That's the only honorable thing to do in that situation. But he's a classic Democrat. He thinks he's smart, and he does, and, <clears throat> but all he does is prove that idiots can be educated and not really become smart. And he's gay, and gay people feel like they should be Democrats. Sorry, conservative gays, but I know you're out there, but let's face it, most of you are liberals. Andy is probably the worst. He's the worst person. He's just the worst. Um, as someone who also has anger problems, at least I am not that much of a dork. <laughs> Plus, I don't have the daddy issues that Andy has. Holy shit. I was baffled that Andy got with both Angela and Aaron. I mean, seriously? Just because he went to Cornell? The singing is annoying. Despite his obvious talent with musical instruments, he still prefers to sing. He's also a little boy like a lot of those Ivy League pricks are. Stanley is the man. I love the closing time bit where Andy, that Andy did, and Stanley loved it. Um, he also spoke his mind to Michael, Stanley did, and, was far, and far more people should have been doing that to Michael. Every office has at least three Stanleys, trust me. He's also a player. Adultery is not a good thing, but Stan has game too. And how could you forget that mustache, honestly? Daryl, a real musician, missed his calling by getting into the paper business. He's pretty much the backbone of the whole company, and there's usually three Daryls in every office. All in all, it's a really good show, and I think uh, it will live in history as one of the best. So, um... You did not mention Plop. I did not mention Plop. That's horrible. Why would I mention Plop? I even forgot his real name. <laughs> huh? New Jim. New Jim. Forgot his, his real name's New Jim. Okay, so um, I just started rewatching Breaking Bad, and I don't want to get too much into this because I just started it. But damn, I forgot how much I hated Skyler. Man, it's like Joff, uh, Joffrey in K Game of Thrones. Some characters you just love to hate. Everything she does just turns me off and/or pisses me off. She reminds me of the many women that I've met in my life that I disliked almost immediately, even when they are super hot. Or especially because they are super hot. Not that I think Skylar's hot. She just reminds me of one of those ooh, ooh, bitchy woman. The irony is that I love Walter Jr.'s snarkiness when it's obvious that he gets that trait from his mother. So go figure. And who can't love Jr.? He's a typical good-hearted teenage boy that we've all known, plus palsy. Can't keep that kid down. He's strong-willed, compassionate, and smart. Great character. I'm sure you know that it's a damn good show, and I have to say that I, I am immediately impressed with each of the hooks for each episode. You know, the very first scene and before the opening credits are the most well-thought-out and artistic shots of the entire series, and kudos to them for it. Sometimes I think that the art of the hook in cinema is lost. Face it, binge-watching is a new cinema. But then I can rewatch Breaking Bad, and then I have my faith restored by the opening scene in every single Breaking Bad episode. 
See, when I say I rewatched it, I mean I tend to have it on the background while writing or cooking or playing video games. But I always focus my attention on the opening scene because it's always well done. Like I said, I just started rewatching it, and I'm starting to remember how tragic a tale Jesse Pinkman's life is. Um, it's really a really tragic story of a of a character, and sometimes the art of the tragedy. Um, it seems that the art of the tragedy is also alive and well. But I doubt humanity will ever lose that art, considering that we are all intimately that we all intimately understand tragedy. It's just sad, is all. So I'm bracing myself for it. Walt's character is less tragic, if I remember correctly, because a lot of Pinkman's tragedy is Walter's fault. Walt's older and smarter and should have been uh, and should have looked after Jesse better. You're a fucking teacher, man. I feel like Walter did all this to himself. He lost his mind a little bit with the diagnosis and started playing a very dangerous game. So I don't much I don't have so much sympathy for that character. So he and Skylar kind of deserve each other. Hank is a likable character, dealing with like PTSD and so forth. And sure, he's full of bravado and is a tad racist. But, you know, anyway, he's, he's actually a good man doing a good job. But anyway, you know it's a good show. I may talk about it more next week, but I still have a long way to go. Yeah, we may do a short show today because I just, my heart is not in it today. Okay, so uh, let's go on to the mailbag. And you can uh, email me at madmanfxbgpr.com. If you want me to read your emails and you want me to and respond to them, you can remain anonymous if you want. I won't. I won't put your uh, your name or username out there if you don't want. Okay, but let's go to this first question from the mailbag. Uh, why do you think you're so smart being an American? Now, I'm I'm not really sure what you mean by this question. Why Why do I think I'm so smart being an American? I wonder if you mean that because. Uh, you think that all Americans are dumb. And uh, I can understand why you have that impression. And um, kudos to you if you're outside of the United States listening to this show. And thank you. Thanks for listening. That's cool. Global reach. Um, but, you know, it, it's... It, I can understand that a lot of tourists that you come, acro- that you come across that are American are, uh, are really tend to be dumb and, you know, kind of horrible in many ways. I get that. But as, a, as an American, I understand that I am not in the rank and file of, like, the average American. I know that I'm more intelligent. I know I'm far more conservative than uh, most people. I'm not as dumb as a lot of people are in America. Because there's plenty of dumb people. There's plenty of dumb here, people here in America. But even for an American, I've, I'm smart because I've educated myself. You know, I, I didn't go to college or anything like that, but I've read tons and tons and tons and tons of books. Lots and lots of uh, stuff. I, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm like the top end of the intellect uh, level when it comes to Americans. <laughs> don't want to toot my own horn, but I you know I don't think that being an American or being born anywhere makes you smarter or anything like that. I think that you know uh, I think some people are just born with a natural intellectual curiosity and go out there and fill their minds with everything they can. And so uh, I don't think you know where you're where you're born has any impact on that. Sorry about all those asshole american tourists that <laughs> make us look bad sorry about that but you know they weren't me they weren't me all right let's just next question for the from the mailbag is how much wood would how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood so a marmot is a varmint and this old pig is just a whistle pig why do you care if it sees a shadow or chucks wood smart asses i had to prepare that answer 
All right, uh, next question from the mailbag. How many instruments do you play? Let's see, I play the drums, I play the trumpet, and so I think I could probably figure out other brass like tuba and trombone. Uh, I play guitar, I play ukulele, a little piano, and horrible backing vocals. Some people might tell you that I play the skin flute, but that is not true. I have difficulties with wood woodwinds. Woodwinds. All right, so I want to get into one more thing for the news worth knowing, and that's the reason for the season. And uh, it's Christmas time, you know, it's just a few more days till Christmas Day. Christmas Day. And uh, I just want you, I don't want to get too churchy on you, but you know, the reason the season is we're celebrating the birth of Christ. Christ Mass, the Mass for Christ. For Christ. And so, um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of elements that come to the whole na- uh, nativity idea in the sense of uh, a new life. You know, even if, even if you don't think that Jesus was the Son of God and there was a star over his head when he was born in a manger, and they put him in a manger, you know, three wise men came to see him. You know, you you could think that, you know, if you don't believe that that all, is all true, you could just celebrate the fact that, you know, new life comes in the world. And with a new life, like a new baby, you know, even like when my niece came into this world, you know, you, you see all, nothing, they are nothing but potential. They're, they're just a little pocket of potential. They could be anything. You never know how they're going to turn out. And you can assume, you can, uh, and you're hopeful. Everyone is hopeful for a new, whether it's your child or it's your niece you know, your nephew, whatever. You're hopeful for their future, that your their future uh, will be better than your past. And so even if you don't believe in, uh, you know, uh, uh, that it's, you know, the Son of God, you can believe that it's, it's, it is kind of respecting the fact that we, you know, have uh, the, the new generations could have, could have things better, could have things better. And they're because those people are nothing but potential. And so even if you're just celebrating a new life, the birth of Christ, even if it didn't happen in December, whatever. All right. So it's a winter festival, whatever. Okay. <laughs> However we got here, I think we need to be focused on the reason of the season. Additionally, Jesus Christ represents a bunch of teachings, you know, that changed the way of, that society worked on earth. Okay. When Jesus was born, we're talking about the height of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire spanned, you know, most of the known world, you know, and then there's this uh, guy who comes along and is like, render under sea, yeah, pay your taxes, but you know, you know, God takes your soul, you know, God, God, you know, give to God what is God's, you know, and all these teaching, blessed are the meek, blessed are the cheesemakers, peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, <laughs> I've watched Life of Brian too much, blessed, you know. There's plenty of great teachings that Jesus taught, and so we can be celebrating the wisdom that came from the teachings of Jesus, even if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You could say that, hell yeah, there's a bunch of wisdom that can be found in the Bible, especially in Jesus' teachings. You know, turning the other cheek is a lot better than eye for an eye, and that's the world they were coming from. You know, there was just the Old Testament at that point, and it was eye for an eye, tooth for, tooth for a tooth, and that Jesus comes along saying, turn the other cheek, you know? And that's, that's what you're celebrating. It's, a, it's, it's kind of like the renaissance of humanity. Jesus Christ is, represents the renaissance of humanity, an age of enlightenment. And I, I think that even if, you, if you, don't, you don't have any faith, you don't believe in, in, in Jesus Christ, you can understand that, you know, that uh, he represents, even if, it, even if you think it's a myth, you, the whole mythos of Jesus Christ is based upon the idea of a renaissance in human thought and understanding. 
because that, that's what was going on around year zero, <laughs> around year zero. That's, uh, you know, the, the Renaissance uh, wasn't quite getting, yeah, it was, it was like 1300 years before Renaissance. Truly, you know, it's, and the Renaissance is based a lot of, upon the teachings of, of Christ, of Christianity, moving through the world, <clears throat> which led to the Age of Enlightenment. I'm sure it took a thousand years or so, 1300 years or so. But hey, you know, it, it's all born from the idea of a guy who bucked, a, who came, who came in, uh, came from a world of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and started saying, turn the other cheek instead. You know, gave his life as an innocent man, quote unquote innocent man. Who knows what Jesus had really done? You think Jesus ever shoplifted? <laughs> it's just, I know he, he, uh, he cursed a fig tree. <laughs> he got mad at the fig tree. No figs. See, you're a fig tree. You have one job. Make figs. <laughs> anyway, so I want to remind you, you know, as you gather around your family, you know, just be thankful that, you know, uh, you have family. Be thankful that, you know, um, uh, despite, despite all the things going on in the world, you know, it, things are still okay. They're still okay. We're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, this COVID thing is, is pretty frustrating. You know, um, people are getting sick. There's people who are dying. I understand that. But all in all, we're going to be okay. And so I want you to find some comfort. I hope you find some comfort over this holiday season. And um, if, you know, if you feel bad, just drop me a line. Email me, madmenfxpgpr.com. And I'll, uh, put you <laughs> I'll read, your, read, your, uh, read your letter on my, on my show. Like I said, it's a half-ass show today. I'm really not caring. So let's just go right into the news we're doing. Jesus, I'm so lazy. I'm so lazy today. All right, so horse racing, the Dalai Lama, and Smokey Bear. <clears throat> Coronavirus relief package includes, includes some oddball provisions. You may have heard about this, this new uh, relief bill coming out today. After days of frenzied negotiations, Congress uh, late Monday passed a, a massive 11th-hour bill that combined $900 billion in COVID-19 relief with a $1.4 trillion omnibus government spending measure. In addition to reviving a federal unemployment boost for millions of out-of-work Americans and sending a second $600 stimulus check to individuals, including children, the $2.3 trillion catch-all package, which will fund the government for the remainder of the fiscal year, addresses a spate of legislation on taxes, energy, education, and health care. The mammoth 5,593-page bill, part of an omnibus appropriations package that wraps 12 spending measures into one, also contains a raft of unexpected items that are not directly related to government funding or pandemic relief efforts, such as establishing two new branches of the Smithsonian Museum near the National Mall, creating national standards for the horse racing industry, and making illegal streaming a felony. Congress overwhelmingly passed the bill, which became available to lawmakers just a few hours before they were expected to vote on it, to the chagrin of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ted Cruz. Quote, this is why Congress needs time to actually read the package before voting on it, Ocasio-Cortez tweeted, linking to a story about the legislation making, making illegal streaming a felony. Quote, members of Congress uh, have not read this bill. It's over 5,000 pages, uh, arrived at 2 p.m. today, and we're told to... Uh, and we are told to expect a vote on it in two hours. This isn't governance. It's hostage-taking. Holy cow! I agree with something AOC said. 
<laughs> the Senate voted 96 to 2 to approve the measure, and the House voted 359 uh, to 53 in favor. Now, I'll come back to all this here in a second. Uh, here, uh, here's a closer look at some of the oddball provisions included in one of the largest relief packages in modern American history. The Dalai Lama. The legislation includes a section outlining the reincarnation and secession of the Dalai Lama, uh, the highest spiritual leader in Tibet. According to the bill, it's the, the, the decisions regarding the selection, education, and veneration of the Tibetan Buddhist religious leaders are exclusively spiritual matters that should be made by appropriate religious authorities within the Tibetan, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and in context of the will of, protect, uh, will of practitioners of Tibetan Buddhism. Now that sounds great and everything. But uh, what does this have to do with COVID? Absolutely nothing. All right. It continues. Uh, it wishes the 14th Dalai Lama, including any written instructions, should play a key role in selection, education, and veneration of a future 15th Dalai Lama. The current 14th Dalai Lama, 85-year-old Tenzin Gyatso, lives in exile in India, where he's been since 1959 Tibetan uprising. Okay, so I think, I think this issue, the Dalai Lama... It's about Tibet. It's about Tibet and China's designs on Tibet. And that's great. That should be addressed, of course. But what does this have to do with the COVID relief? You know, this is more of a foreign policy thing. You know, it, I don't think this is the time to address that. All right, let's go on to what else is in here. The new, new, new Smithsonian Museums. The legislation establishes two new Smithsonian Museums that will be located near the National Mall in Washington. Local, uh, the women's the Women's History Museum, the National Museum of the American Latino. Uh, un uh, repealing unenforced crimes. The bill, the bill repeals nine criminal laws that are rarely, if ever, enforced. Uh, people who transport uh, water hyacinths, alligator grass, or water chestnut plants across state lines no longer face up to six months in prison. That's great. What does that have to do with COVID relief? <laughs> Likewise, individuals who use fraudulent fraudulently use who fraudulently use emblems such as US Forest Service's Smoky Bear or Woodsy Owl, the Golden Eagle insignia and Swiss Confederation's coast of arm coat of arms will no longer face jail time. Seriously? What does this have to do with anything? When it comes to streaming, a bipartisan a bipartisan bipartisan bill introduced by Senator Tom Tillis uh, from North Carolina that would allow the Justice Department to charge businesses for felony copyright infringement if they are internationally streamed copyrighted material online as part of a multi-trillion dollar bill. That's great. What does that have to do with COVID relief? <laughs> Horse race doping. <clears throat> the bill includes bipartisan legislation uh, introduced by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky earlier this year that will create national medication and safety standards for the horse racing industry as well as anti-doping and net race track safety program. That's great. What does that have to do with COVID relief? Now, when it comes to all this stuff, these line item things that end up in the bills that you know end up getting passed, they're called, it's, it's called pork. It's called pork. It's, it's stuff that they add to these bills and that they want to get just because they know they're voting on something. They know that everyone's going to vote on it. And like I said, you know, the vote was, you know, uh, it was passed almost unanimously. It was very, very large majority passing it. What was it, 92 to 6 or something like that? Where is the numbers? So let me see where the 92 to 6 in the Senate. And 359 to 53 in favor in the House. So that's the whole point. Is that it was, um, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to say they did not vote for the COVID bill. All right? They wanted the people, the average American taxpayer to get their, get their check. All right? And so they go ahead and just uh, go ahead and sign off on everything else that's in this bill. Because they don't want to be the person who voted against it. All right? There are a few people, six in the Senate and 53 in the House, that did not want, want to vote for it. And I would say, you know, good for them. Good for them, because uh, apparently there's too much pork. There's more pork than actual need, uh, stuff that's needed. These are your tax dollars. Not, they're my tax dollars until I die. They're also the tax dollars of my niece until she dies. They're the tax dollars of your children until they die, and probably their children until they die. We have given these jackasses in Washington our credit card, all right? And there's no limit on it, okay? Because it's backed by the, by the Federal Reserve, and there's no limit on it, and they're just going crazy. They're going crazy with it. You know, you, you know how it is. If you're, if you're one of these people that's been out of work, you know, you're living hand-to-mouth like it, you know, a lot of people are these days. You know, this is what they're taking, that tax dollars that they take out of your paychecks, this is what they're doing with it. All right? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So let's go out of this next story. I don't want to get too much into the politics of it all, but it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. Um, this next story is the Milky Way may be full of aliens who annihilated themselves, study says. Who is it, a poll? Anyway, so no one can say for certain whether extraterrestrial civiliz- civilizations exist, but one new study suggests the Milky Way is full of them. That could, that many could be, though many could be dead. The research... Uh, which can be read on the RXIV repository, I'm not sure what that is, was written by experts at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, California Institute of Technology, and Santiago High School in Corona, California. It uses the famous Drake equation to determine that intelligent life may have emerged some 8 billion years after the Milky Way formed. Quote, as we cannot assume a low low probability of annihilation, it is possible that intelligent life elsewhere in the galaxy is still too young to be observed by us. The researchers wrote in the study. Therefore, our findings can apply that intelligent life may be common in the galaxy, but is still young, uh, uh, supporting the optimistic aspect for the practice of search for extraterrestrial intelligence. The experts also looked at, uh, at where other civilizations may live in the universe, noting they are likely to reside on planets in the galactic habitable zone, places where the galaxy, places in the galaxy where there is an abundance of metals. And there, this, this could be approximately 13,000 light years from the galactic center, the researcher noted. By comparison, the solar system and Earth are approximately 25,000 light years from the galactic center, a light year which measures distance in space is approximately 6 trillion miles. However, the researchers also noted that potential for self-annihilation in galactic intelligent life could be highly influential, suggesting that any intelligent life may have already destroyed themselves. Why? Why do you think that? Quote, if intelligent life is likely to destroy themselves, why are you making that assumption? It is not surprising, this is go, the quote goes on to say, it is not surprising there is little to no intelligent life elsewhere. Researchers added. Though there is no, quote, explicit evidence that intelligent life will eventually annihilate themselves, the researchers cited research dating back to the 1960s that progress in science and technology will inevitably lead to complete destruction of biological de- uh, de- degeneration. Yeah, it was the 1960s. Watch those old Twilight Zone episodes. Everyone thought we were all going to have a nuclear war in the 70s. Okay? It didn't happen. 
You know why? Because, you know, we, we figured it out. We we're smart enough to know it's like, hey, it can all it could all end. So I don't know why you just assume civilizations would destroy themselves. Anyway, so some potential scenarios put, uh, being put forth by researchers include war, climate change, and the development of biotechnology. Okay, they made nanomachines. They're, they're facing the same threats that we, ha we are facing today. That's what you're saying. You're saying that it's likely that humanity will destroy, the, destroy themselves because since we're stupid, all life in the universe must be stupid. <laughs> there are more than 4,500 exoplanets that have been discovered so far with only a small portion uh, thought to have, contained, have properties to contain life. A study published in November suggested that the galaxy may contain uh, 300 million planets capable of supporting life. Now, I don't know why you would assume that they would destroy, destroy themselves. That's, that's insane. Sure, climate change is, it could be a problem, but you know what? It really isn't a problem. Climates are, are always changing. There's some, uh, it's more likely to see an extinction-level event, like a large asteroid, you know, large solar flares, something like that. Extinction level events are more worrisome than uh, 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 climate change. All right, you worried about the ice caps melting? You know what? It'll freeze again sooner or later. All right, it's uh, it's water. All right, <laughs> we're lucky it's this warm on this planet. Anyway, going on to this next story. It's short, short show today. So uh, John Mulaney, former Saturday Saturday Night Live writer, checks into rehab for alcohol and cocaine relapse. Never pictured him as a coke guy. Uh, the 38-year-old comedian recently suffered a relapse from alcohol and cocaine addiction. Uh, page 6 first reported Monday, citing sources. A rep for Mulaney did not immediately respond to Fox News' request for comment. The outlet claimed Mulaney checked into rehab facility in Pennsylvania for over the weekend, where he plans to receive treatment for 60 days. He, which he just wanted to skip Christmas, I think, and New Year's. According to a source, Mulaney's uh, loved ones are supportive of his decision in, to seek treatment. Quote, John's friends and family are happy that he's finally getting some help and focusing on his health, said the insider. The comedian has been open about his past struggles with sobriety. The source told outlet that Mulaney struggled again during the pandemic, and uh, despite his alleged relapse, the source insisted Mulaney is not fighting against rehab. In 2019, Mulaney uh, addressed his past addiction to alcohol and drugs in an interview in Esquire. He told the outlet he began drinking at the age of 13 and noticed it helped him break out of his shell. I get that. I drank for attention, he told the outlet. I was really outgoing, and then I was really outgoing, and then at 12, I wasn't. Uh, he also recalled taking Vicodin while under the influence of alcohol. I wasn't a good athlete, so maybe it was some, it was some young male thing of, this is the physical feat I could do. Three Vicodin and tequila, and I'm still standing. He said, who's the athlete now? Okay comedians <laughs> uh he also claimed he became he he first became sober at the age of 23 after going on a weekend bender uh quote it was just crazy the weekend that that was uh there were i'm not going to tell you that's mine i didn't kill anyone or assault anyone but yeah i was like you're fucking out of control and i thought to myself i don't like this guy anymore i'm not rooting for him he recalls <laughs> well I, I can get that i get that uh, according to the reports, uh, Mulaney recently joined Late Night with Seth, uh, Seth Meyers as a staff writer. The stand-up comedian also hosted SNL twice in 2020. Well, I hope he gets better. I think he's an incredibly talented writer and comedian. So let's go on to this next story. Google, Facebook agreed to team up against possible antitrust action, draft lawsuit says. 
this is from Washington. Facebook Inc. and Alphabet Inc.'s uh, Google agreed to, quote, cooperate and assist one another if they ever faced an investigation into the pact into their pact to work together in online advertising according to an unredacted version of a lawsuit filed by 10 states against Google last week. The suit as filed cites internal company documents that were heavily redacted. The Wall Street Journal reviewed as part of a recent draft version of the suit without redactions, which elaborated on findings and allegations in court documents. Ten Republican uh, attorneys, attorneys generals, uh, led by Texas, are alleging that the two companies cut a deal in September of 2018 in which Facebook agreed not to compete with Google's online advertising tools in return for special treatment when, uh, when it used them. Google used language from Star Wars as a code name for the deal, according to the lawsuit, which redacted the actual name. The draft version of the suit said it was known as Jedi Blue. <laughs> what? Anyway, the lawsuit itself said Google and Facebook were aware that, uh, that their agreement could trigger antitrust inv uh, investigations and discussed how to deal with them in a passage that is followed by significant redactions. The draft version spells out some of the contract provisions, which state that the companies will uh, cooperate and assist each other in responding to any antitrust action and, quote, promptly will and fully inform the other party of any government communication related to the agreement. <laughs> in the company's contract, the word redacted is, uh, is mentioned, the word that is redacted, I guess, is mentioned no fewer than 20 times, the lawsuit says. The unredacted draft fills... Uh, fills in the word antitrust. A Google spokesman, uh, spokesperson said such agreements over antitrust threats are extremely common. The states, uh, claim there are, the state's claims are inaccurate. We don't manipulate the auction, the spokesperson said, uh, adding that the deal wasn't secret and that Facebook participates in other ad auctions. There's nothing exclusive about Facebook's involvement and they don't receive data that is not similar, similarly made available to other buyers. The redacted lawsuit filed last week makes no mention of Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg. According to the draft version, Ms. Sandberg signed a deal with Google. Signed the deal with Google. The draft version also cites that an email which he told CEO Mark Zuckerberg and other executives is a deal. This is a big deal strategically. Like Google, Facebook has also uh, disputed the allegations in the lawsuit, saying it's uh, uh, agreements for bidding on advertising promote choice and create clear clear benefits for advertisers, publishers, and small businesses. Quote, any allegation that, that this harms competition or any suggestion of misconduct on part of Facebook is baseless, a Facebook per spokesperson said. The final version of the lawsuit didn't make public de uh, details about the deal's value. The draft states that starting uh, in the deal's fourth year, Facebook is locked into a spending a minimum of $500 million annual annually in Google run-on ad auctions. Facebook, this is a quote, Facebook is to win a fixed percent of those auctions. The draft version says the lawsuit says Facebook is to redact it. <laughs> According to the draft version, an internal Facebook document described the deal as re relatively cheap when compared to the direct competition. While a Google presentation said that the company couldn't avoid uh, competing with Facebook if it would collaborate to build a moat, uh, the re redacted lawsuit filed last week it doesn't include those quotes. So you know something needs to be done about these these tech companies. You know they're they're kind of trying to they're trying to corner the market and up the price. It's the basics the basics of uh, what's that word economics. They want to corner the market and raise the price. That's that's what they're doing. And something needs to be done about this. You know people are farting around with all these 
<laughs> all these changes to, you know, uh, the horse racing doping and shit. Like that. <laughs> They're making laws like that instead of focusing on what these, these tech companies are doing to us. The United Association of Consumer Fuckers is what they are. Anyway, let's go on to the next story. New Mexico sheriff refuses to enforce COVID-19 stay-at-home orders amid violent crime surge. Oh, look, there's a smart sheriff. A New Mexico sheriff is joining a growing number of law enforcement officials refusing to enforce restrictive coronavirus measures. Quote, we have a crime rate that's four times the national rate in violent crime, so our people are being ravaged by criminals already, and we don't want to, in this time where there's so many restrictive measures for people having to stay home, kids aren't going to school, we have a very high suicide rate, what we're, going to try, what we're trying to do in that message is send something that is positive to the people, that gives them hope and optimism for the future. Uh, Lilo, Lilo, Leo County Sheriff Manny Gonzalez told Fox & Friends. Gonzalez said that he wants the American people to look at law enforcement as a positive light. Or in a positive light. The sheriff in New Mexico's most populous county said in a video last week that he will not enforce any stay-at-home orders that subvert individuals' constitutional rights, adding that his office will focus on helping families and businesses stay home, stay safe from crime. Gonzalez said in a video statement posted to the department's YouTube channel Friday that compared to other states, state and local governments around the country, New Mexico's COVID-19 response involves some of the most restrictive measures which significantly impacted countless New Mexicans' livelihoods, health, and well-being. The heightened restrictions statewide will be in effect for the next two weeks and are meant to blunt the unprecedented spike of COVID-19 Ill illnesses and, and to attempt to relieve dramatically escalated strain on hospitals and healthcare providers across the state, according to the State, state, Department, state Health Department's website. New Mexico officials, health officials, New, New Mexico health officials recorded 1,077 new cases of the coronavirus Sunday, bringing the total up to 129,993. <laughs> of the new cases, 278 were traced to Bernalillo County. There are 16 additional deaths statewide related to COVID-19, four of which are traced to Bernalillo County, according to latest figures for the state health, state health Department. The governor's office did not immediately respond to Fox News, blah, blah, blah. The sheriff uh, said that the move is necessary because law enforcement is here for the people, vowing to restore confidence and push back against the level of fear-mongering going on when the messages when messages are being sent out quote people feel belittled and talked down to when they're sending out these restrictive measures and people just don't feel confident gonzalez said that's a very it's <laughs> a very nerf way to put it uh gonzalez went on to say so we wanted to restore restore some of that confidence and show that we're you know in lockstep with the community and we understand that we're going through uh what they're going through because this is so many hardships and so many things going on and we want to make sure that we understand where they understand that we are here for them so I, I'm glad that there's a lot of sheriffs and stuff speaking up about this because these, first of all, these unconstitutional stay-at-home orders are ridiculous. You know, nobody should be should be saying that. You know, we're Americans for God's sakes. Second of all, you know, when you when you're trying to enforce these kind of things, you're taking manpower away from things that need to be need to uh, be taken care of. You know, like the like the sheriff said, like the sheriff said, you know, suicide rates are up. You know, nobody's working. You know, crime is spiking. When nobody's working, crime's spiking. And plus, it's the Christmas season. Crime spikes in the Christmas season. You know? So, I mean, it's... They have to, you know... They have their priorities straight there in New Mexico, apparently. It's like, we're going to deal with crime. We're not going to, you know, bust down people's doors and make sure that they're staying, you know, six feet away from each other during Christmas. You know? Anyway, got one more story. Then we're going to end the show. Because, you know, it's Christmas time. 
And I always like to end on a positive note. So uh, Charity Builds Beds for Children in Need. Quote, no kid is going to sleep on the floor in my town. In 2012, Luke Mickelson form, uh, formed one goal, to make sure every child has a safe and comfortable to sl- bed to sleep at, at night. Safe and comfortable place to sleep at night. So far, he has helped make that re- reality f- uh, make that a reality for 60,000 children with sleep in heavenly peace. Mickelson's nonprofit organization, which is now touching lives around the world, started out as a simple project in his garage in Kimberly, Ohio, uh, Idaho, around Christmas time. He started by building one be- bunk bed for a family in need with children at his local church. But one just wasn't enough. With the help of his family, Mickelson uh, took the leftover wood from his first bunk and created uh, another one to, uh, to see who else could benefit. Quote, it's just kind of unique just because uh, as you built it, you're kind of thinking about what you're doing and that kid's in, that's getting a kid off the floor, he told Fox News. That one bed helped a six-year-old girl who had, who had gone from sleeping in the backseat of her mom's car to sleeping on a pile of clothes in an empty home, he remembered. At that point, I said, you know what? No kid is going to sleep on a floor in my town if I have anything to do with it, he recalled. That Christmas, the organization made and delivered 11 bunk beds for families in need. With each passing year, the number of beds doubled, he said. 11 eventually turned into 25, then 51, 77, 136, 602, and so on. Quote, too many boys and girls go without a bed or even a pillow to sleep on, the Sleep in Heavenly Peace website says. These children end up sleeping on couches, blankets, and even floors, and this can affect their happiness and health. The Mickelsons quickly learned that droves of friends, neighbors, and complete strangers across the country wanted to help build beds as well as donate other supplies to the families in need. Quote, I kind of looked at my wife and I said, and I'm like, you know, I think, I think we got something here, he recalled. A uh, chapter started forming around the co- uh, country, and in 2014, Sleep in Heavenly Peace was officially registered as a nonprofit. By the end of 2017, the organization had built 911 bunk beds, and over 5,000 p- people from around the world have reached out to start a chapter. Today, Mickelson, who, his family and volunteers from the United States, Canada, Bermuda, and the Bahamas, have built and delivered over 60,000 beds for those in need. Mickelson trains each chapter president on how to build the beds and provides a complete training manual that spans roughly 70 pages, he said. The beauty of it, beauty of it is that his process is quite simple. That's 70 pages? It's not that simple, bro. Quote, the way we built them is it's like an assembly line, he said. Uh, for example, one station will focus on cutting wood, and another station will sand the wood, another station will focus on drilling, and so on. The wood will, uh, will also get stained and covered in bed bug deterrent before being branded uh, with the organization's name. In in total, there are roughly 10 stations that help uh, to build each bunk bed. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, he recalled uh, being able to pump out 25 bunk beds in an hour with the help of over 100 volunteers. Excuse me. Uh, Mickelson said that even after a few years of doing the work, he still had no idea how big this problem really was. Mickelson isn't alone. People are constantly shocked by the magnitude of the issue, he said. Quote, you know what? It's right next door. You have no idea about it, he said. The organization gets nearly 100 applicants, applications per day for uh, nationwide for beds, and many more, uh, and many are for more than one child. What's more, Mickelson says, child advocacy organizations na- nationwide are now training their caseworkers to ask, "Do your kid, do you have beds for your kids?" No one has ever asked that question before," he said. So you know, in the spirit of the season, you know, go out there, do something kind. For your fellow man. Because it's Christmas time. 
And it's going to be a short show today. I'm sorry. I don't feel like doing it a whole lot. <laughs> I'm lazy today. So, yeah, I want to remind you, go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio, become a patron. I would appreciate it. Find me on uh, YouTube, shockmonkeyradio, and bitch you, like, share, and subscribe. Um, please, that helps me out a lot, considering I'm shadow banned on, on those place, uh, on YouTube. I think these tech companies, you know, I talk bad about them, so I'm going to be shadow banned. And so, uh, yeah, I would appreciate that. Uh, you can also send me money through Cash App. Use hashtag shockmonkeyradio. Um, I have books out there. Search for the author Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's for a digital download on Amazon.com. Uh, buy my books. And so, yeah, I want to I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy, well, I'll see you next week before the New Year. So, uh, very Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Absolutely. Enjoy this holiday season. Squeeze and hug your family. You know, and, uh, you know, tell them, tell them I love them just like I love you because I'm the madman. This is Shock Monkey Radio. And I love you.